0: You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Before we jump into the new series today, I want to say a special word of welcome to those that are guests, but especially the guests that got up early to get here. Hi. I don't know about you. I I catch myself thinking this every year, and then I'm reminded. Let me tell you the tension I face. I love spring forward because I love when we've got longer days. But I struggle uh, with it being on Sunday. I wish it came on Monday for everybody else. Uh, Like last night, I woke up, you know, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, just making sure, because I don't want to be late. (laughs) Uh, I get up real early on Sundays and I prepare my heart and everything. but, But I'm like, man, I don't know. So I remember last night I got up. I think it was like 1 o'clock, I'm like, what time is it? I look at everything, it's 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock. I go into the kitchen, I'm like, has the time changed yet? Because I hadn't looked up what time officially it changed. The microwave still said one. I'm like, I don't think that synced with everything else. Um, So then I'm sitting there looking up what time it changes at 2 o'clock. So I'm like, okay, we're okay. No, I'm already losing. It was just like a tension, all right? And I wish that tension happened to everybody else on Monday for work day. Um, But nevertheless, let me remind you why it happens on Sunday. Ready? because Sunday's the first day of the week. Uh, we can forget that. Um, the Bible says in Matthew, when Jesus is talking, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Meaning put Jesus and his kingdom first. So consider this. Give him the first day of the week, that's today. Even when it's tough and time springs forward. So give him the first day of the week. Number two, give him the first words of the morning. Instead of, good Lord, it's morning. No, it's good morning, Lord. So give him the first day of the week. Give him the first words of the morning. And then I want to talk about this because we emphasize this every week. Give him the first dime of every dollar. I'm telling you, Jesus talks about this unique connection that takes place between money and our heart. And he tells us this beautiful principle about tithing and generous giving to God through the local church. Uh, so often, we can talk through this during a hosting time and just kind of go through it almost to the point where you can hear it. When we talk about generosity, as it's like this generous desire to give God at least a tenth. You know, last week I had the uh, joy, or two weeks ago, I had the joy of surprising my daughter for no reason with a guitar. Um, Elon's not in the service, so I can talk about it. She can flat sing, but she's real shy. And I think it's because she took piano as a little kid and. She finds harmony in songs that I just, I can't. I'm over here trying to get the regular note. Um, Elin can find the harmony. And just recently I decided to buy her a guitar. That was a gift of expressing love. It wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to do. It wasn't something that I dreaded. The same concept is true when we give to God. It shouldn't be hard as a follower of Jesus. It should be something we love to do. And by the way, when you give, I would suggest something that we still do to this day. Attach words to your gift. Uh, maybe it's at the end of the service today if you decide to give in a box. Or the reason we talk about giving online is because it's one of those easy ways to give. And it's something that we started after the pandemic. But find ways to, to attach words to the gift to God so that he knows and so that it reminds you of how much you love him. Um, I wanted to take a little bit of time just to press in on that issue because it's kind of what keeps us going. It, uh, the giving provides everything that you see and and keeps the the church uh, moving forward on behalf of the people in this city. But before we jump in now to this message, I want to pray what we sang. And I would like for you to pray as well, just expecting God to do something to move in a special way. So so let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for today and thank you for a shift forward in time. I thank you for spring rain. I thank you for a day that we can gather the first day of the week. I thank you for the guests that are in the room, those that have been here so long and and the faithful members of this church. And I pray now as we open your word, in faith, I ask you to move and do something in the heart of Tim, uh, do something in the heart of those that are in this room as we start this new series looking at those final days in the life of Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the series is called Forced to Slow Down. How many are familiar with an image like this? It usually shows up on the phone. You giggle because it gets you mad too. You get frustrated. If you've got somewhere to be at a certain time, you get disappointed. You get borderline angry because this red spot, it like forces you to slow down. It's one of those things that that causes perhaps the driver that's impatient to make a statement, you know what, I think I could walk faster than this, right? This image reminds us that in life there are weeks that we're forced to slow down. I mean, I want you to consider what weeks look like from now backwards or even now moving forward. From a human perspective, not all weeks are created equal, There are some weeks in your life that really stand out. Some weeks really slow down, and they force us to slow down. Perhaps it's a routine physical. You dread it because no one likes it, but you go to the doctor and you find out it's not so routine after all. The tests have showed that um, you've got some problems, and this routine physical ends up leading to something called bypass. Bypass. You're scared to death. The weeks to come before the surgery, it's like everything is on hold. I'm telling you, some, some weeks we're forced to slow down. How about a job interview? You, you're without a job or you're needing a new job. and You've gone through multiple interviews. and Interviews seem to have gone well, but, but, but everything's kind of going slow. You're waiting on the answer. You're waiting on the start date. I'm telling you, there are some weeks that are just different from other weeks. And everything kind of is put to a halt. Um, your first child... Many of you know Kari, who we love to death and works with our host team in college ministry and oftentimes will host from up on stage. Kari and his wife just had their first child named Jonah. You know what it's like to have your first child. Like everything else in life has just gone so good, so so quick, and all of a sudden, you bring a new child home and everything changes. You've never done this before. The world has flipped upside down. There's no sleep. On behalf of college students, uh, the week of finals. You're forced to slow down, like you're forced to actually put off all the things you've been procrastinating. You're forced to prepare for a test, and that means all-nighters, that means anxiety. You're forced to slow down. There's all different types of reasons you're forced to slow down. Maybe you're waiting on test results. Maybe you're waiting on someone to get out of the hospital. Maybe you just lost someone you love and time just starts to creep. I'm telling you, not all weeks are created equal. Some weeks really stand out and some weeks really slow down. In the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus is headed into Jerusalem on a Sunday, he will be crucified on a Friday. The Gospel of Mark has a way of telling this and Mark has 16 chapters. Mark chapter 1 through chapter 10, pretty good pace. Uh, Such a good pace that it's talking about the miracles, the teaching, the healing, the feeding of thousands, uh, the dialogue between he and the disciples, him meeting people that are far from God, him just making a difference. And the pace is pretty quick because Mark chapter 1 through 10, it covers a period of about three years then we get to chapters 11 through 16 and everything slows down. Mark slows down. Uh, Mark 11 through 16 cover eight days of Jesus' ministry. So the first 10 chapters, three years. The next six, eight days. And that's the reason we've entitled this series Forced to Slow Down. You see what Mark does is he spends an enormous amount of ink on chapters 11 through 16 for those eight days. He, he gives it an extra amount of space because, in this section of scripture, he wants, he wants us to realize that it's a week that everything slowed down. There are weeks in your life and my life that everything will slow down. And for the weeks to come until Easter, I want us to slow down with Mark through these days. To see what Jesus is doing, what he wants us to learn, how he wants to shape us and confront us and challenge us, and perhaps how he wants to encourage us as we too are forced to slow down. Today, what I want us to do is we'll focus on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday morning. Uh, Officially, this day is called Palm Sunday. Now, today's not that day, but in the text, it's Palm Sunday. And this is the, G, the day that Jesus heads into Jerusalem. He's starting to come over the mountain ridge, and he's heading over the top. And he, he, he sends some disciples because what they're going to do is they're going to come upon the city of Jerusalem. From the top of the mountain, they'll be able to see this city. And the city will dominate, will dominate the landscape. Like this, this, this temple compound, it, it covers 35 acres. It's the one thing that at the top of the ridgeline Jesus will weep over, as we talked about just a few weeks ago when we were reminded that Jesus is compassionate. Uh, Jesus sends a couple of disciples to go, gets, to go get a donkey. And if you remember, the do- disciples come back with a donkey. A few weeks ago, we talked about how kings and queens like Charles and Queen Elizabeth, how they can dom- commandeer a ship. Jesus can commandeer anything he wants, and he commandeers a donkey. Not to mention he created the thing. So the disciples go get this donkey, and they bring it to Jesus. And as Jesus is descending from the top of the ridge down to Jerusalem, people begin to take off their coats, and they put it on the donkey as a makeshift saddle. Some of them take off their coats, and they place it down right on the pavement in front of the donkey, almost like red carpet treatment. Uh, People are shouting, Hosanna, the people in the front of Jesus and the people behind, because they're headed to Jerusalem for Passover. The streets are clogged with people. There are crowds, thousands upon thousands of people. Listen to Mark chapter 11, verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed. So in front and behind shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna li- literally means God save, God rescue. And these people in front of Jesus, the people behind Jesus, they know, they know the history of Israel. They know the kingdom of David from a 1,000 years earlier. And they are praying, Hosanna, God save, God rescue. Do what you did through David. Do it now through Jesus. Because Israel was under Rome, Roman captivity. And these Jews in front of Jesus and behind Jesus are begging that Jesus would conquer Rome and flip it on its tail. Now, what happens in this section is a big deal. I want you to consider this. The most significant event isn't what happens. The most significant event that happens in this passage of Scripture is what doesn't happen. The people in front of Jesus and the people behind Jesus are shouting Hosanna. They're treating him like a king. But as he's headed into Jerusalem, you got to ask the question, What about the people in Jerusalem? In particular, what about the religious leaders that work at the temple? What are they doing about this coming king? I'm telling you, the significance isn't what happens, it's what doesn't happen. This is what happens. Jesus is completely ignored. He isn't even welcomed. When royalty comes into a town, people would leave the town to go and greet the king or the queen, but this is not what happens. Instead, he's ignored and he isn't welcome. Today, I want to press in and ask a question on behalf of every person in this room What does it look like to welcome Jesus into my life? I'm telling you, the tragedy of the story is that he's ignored, but let's press in on behalf of ourselves. What, what does it look like for me to welcome Jesus? into my life, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because of conversations with some of you in this room, some of you are right in the middle of a a spiritual movement. God is nudging you. So if you were to ask the question, okay, what does this look like? You would answer questions like, who is Jesus? What does he really want me to do? How should I respond to let him know that he is welcome into my life? It could be prayed. Oftentimes we do this at the end of a message, but, but why not right in the middle of a message? It could be prayed through a simple prayer. Jesus, please come in, I am yours. I welcome you, I invite you into this life. Jesus, I invite you into my dreams, my sadness, my marriage, my job, my hopes, my confusion. Jesus, I don't wanna be like the religious leaders that, that ignored you and didn't even treat you to be welcomed. Jesus, I want to be different from this story. When life slows down and everything's here, Jesus, help me to see, how can I go above and beyond to welcome you and to invite you into my life, to invite you into the marriage, to invite you into my schedule? The tragedy is this, to ignore him is to reject him. And this is what unfolds in the pages to come. I'm telling you, Jesus is completely ignored. He isn't welcome. Verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He walks into the temple. He looks around and he walks out. On Sunday, he's ignored. He goes with the disciples to some friend's house in Bethany to spend the night. That's Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Jesus is ignored. Now let's talk about Monday. Monday will unfold. This one's interesting because on Monday, Jesus, ready? He talks to a tree. Some of you are familiar with this story, but as Jesus is leaving Bethany on Monday morning and he's headed to Jerusalem, he and the disciples pass a fig tree. Jesus is hungry, and so he moves a lot of the leaves on the fig tree to get to a fig. And he discovers that this fig tree doesn't have any figs and so Jesus talks to the tree verse 14 he says to the tree may no one ever eat fruit from you again and the disciples heard him say it Jesus curses a fig tree I don't know about you but it kind of doesn't feel like Jesus does it you can't help but wonder what's going on here well remember it's happening after Sunday the fact that he wasn't welcome the fact that he wasn't invited fact that he wasn't celebrated by the religious. When he's cursing this fig tree, it's not about the trees. It's about people. It's about people. It's it's tied to what happened the day before when those religious leaders had nothing to do with him. Everything on the outside gave the appearance that they had it together. But in the inside, it was empty. In the Gospel of John, John Quotes Jesus making statements about this issue of fruit. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So on Monday, we're starting to see as he curses the tree, it honors God when we bear fruit. But not just fruit to be showy. What Jesus is letting us know on Monday, it's possible to have lots of leaves and no fruit. It's what happened Sunday. These men that are religious and leaving the temple, the king is coming into the temple. He walks in and looks around, and he walks out because he's not welcome. Meanwhile, these men, they looked apart, they've got everything together. I'm telling you, it's possible to have lots of leaves and no fruit. It's dangerous to have lots of leaves and no fruit. Meaning to learn from the Bible but ignore God. To have Bible knowledge but no change. To have a self-centered spirituality with no compassion for other people. It's just about you. I'm telling you, Jesus talks about the danger of having lots of leaves but no fruit. And I want to say this as a word of warning. Church people are the worst at this because we can be the best at this. We can look the part. We can sound the part. But there's no evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in our life. This is what's happening on Monday. Well, I want us to consider this. Now Jesus is headed back to the temple. Something unique is going to happen in the temple. And he's about to do something they cannot ignore. First time they ignored him. They didn't welcome him. This time he's like, we're not going that route. He's going to clean it up and he's going to clean it out. I want to shed light a little bit on what happens in uh, the verses to come. But I got to explain a little bit of it. Uh, In the temple area... There was a spot where they would sell the animals that would be sacrificed. If you think about it, it was pretty convenient for that to take place, because if you're traveling with Jesus from Galilee, uh, imagine traveling 70 miles with dove, other animals but specifically, let's just highlight dove um, dove for the sacrifice, and you've got cage after cage after cage of dove that you're bringing for the sacrifice. Well, you could do that, and it would kind of be a pain. Or you could bring money. And when you got to the temple, you could purchase doves that were for, for sale for the, for, for the purpose of sacrifice. And wouldn't you know it, that's what happened. Some people would travel and they would have the coins to purchase the dove. Now, one of the problems was the coins. When you would travel from 70 miles away, since Rome was in control, a few weeks ago, I showed you one of those coins. Uh, the Roman coins had Roman emperors and they claimed to be God. And so if you were... Sacri- giving the, the dove for the sacrifice. And if you were placing gifts in the temple and the gifts that you were placing in the temple were coins, the temple of God, but the coins had the fact that Caesar was God. It was contradictory. So, so not only in the temple area could you buy dove, but also if you came with money that was Roman money, you could exchange it for Jewish temple money. Well, these are religious leaders that had lots of leaves, but no fruit. Guess what they were doing in the temple? They were making more money on the dove and they were making more money on the exchanging of coins. Like, think with me for a minute. Anybody ever been stuck in an airport and you get, find out that you're going to be uh, waiting at a spot a little bit longer for the connecting flight. So you go over to the store, they know they've got you, don't they? And you're paying $10 for a water and $20 for a Snickers, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And all logic kind of goes out the door because you're hungry and thirsty. Understand, these religious leaders are taking advantage of people that have come to the house of God to pray. But I want to press in on one more issue. Not only are they making money off doves and making money on the exchange, guess where all this is happening in the temple court? The temple courtyard's split up into all these different sections. The sections that they have all this going on is in the Gentile courtyard. Gentiles being people that did not yet know God. They had traveled a far way, a long way with family and friends to come to the place, the house of prayer, to the temple, to find out about the one true God. And in their quiet section, where they're going to pray, in that very section, the religious leaders are making money off of, making money off of exchange. It is like a flea market in the very spot that they're supposed to be worshiping. Can you imagine you alone with God trying to pray, trying to read, trying to focus, trying to surrender? And it's like a flea market. It's like a UT ballgame where everything is just going crazy. Understand that what Jesus is about to do can't be ignored. He walks into the temple area. He's flipping over tables. He's driving people out. For goodness sake, he's acting like he owns the place. Because he does. And this is what he says. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer, look here, for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah and Jeremiah. What he is saying. The heart of God is for people far from God to have their prayers heard. If that's you in this room today, I want you to understand Jesus flipped over tables to make sure people understood that the Gentile who was far from God came into this area and all this commotion was being done by men that had lots of leaves and no fruit. And if you're far from God today, If you feel lost, if you're overwhelmed, if you recognize you're in need of God, you need to come back to God. You're coming to God for the first time. You're coming to God for the first time in a long time. Understand, God wants to hear your prayers. That's why we're here. This is the setting for God to do something special in your life. And I'm telling you, on Sunday, he's ignored. Not even welcome. On Monday, he talks to trees, but it's to prove a point, there's a danger being religious, meaning having lots of leaves and no fruit, and be a a total distraction to the people that are far from God. And then we get to the rest of the story. Understand what happens in uh, verse number 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they heard this, and they began to look for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. In a real sense, it's what he says on Monday that gets him killed on Friday. See, Jesus' fan base starts to grow. It's growing as he goes into the city. Goes to Bethany, takes a break, comes back to the temple. It's starting to grow again. They see what he's doing. Momentum's starting to shift. Fan base is growing, but the religious leaders are ticked. Because his momentum is threatening their positions of leadership. They have a meeting and they decide, you know what? He's got to go. And we got to do it quick. When Jesus heads into the temple on this week, he knows that his death is coming. And he knows that what he just did to prove where the heart of God is, it's put the religious leader's foot on the gas. They're going to accelerate everything. Consider what happens as he flips over the tables. Because after he flips over the tables, later in the week, he will have a conversation with the the disciples to let them know about the temple. He's like, hey guys, that temple, not long from now, it's going to be gone. And wouldn't you know it, 70 AD, Rome destroyed the temple. What Jesus was doing as he's flipping over the tables and cleaning out the temple, when he tells the disciples that it's going to be gone, look, guess what? He's not telling him he's going to repair it. He's not telling him he's going to restore it. He's telling him he's going to replace it. On Sunday, he's ignored. On Monday, he tells us about the danger of having lots of leaves and no fruit. And on Tuesday, Monday night, he goes back to Bethany. Tuesday morning, he gets up and he hits from Bethany back to Jerusalem. And wouldn't you know it? They go past that same fig tree. One of the disciples speaks up, like, hey, look, that's the tree he cursed. That thing's withered. It's dead. And now on Tuesday morning, Jesus uses this opportunity as they're standing beside a withered fig tree to tell the disciples something extremely valuable that we can't miss. Verse 22, Jesus begins to teach on prayer. This is how Jonathan began. Have faith in God. That's what Jonathan prayed today. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Pay close attention. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Ask the question, well, what's this about? Like why is Jesus leveraging a moment beside a weather tree on a Tuesday morning after what took place Monday and Sunday, why why is he leveraging this to talk about prayer? If you'll remember in the quote that he made earlier from the Old Testament on behalf of Jeremiah and Isaiah, he talks about the temple being the house of prayer. And yes, he stresses for all nations, but he highlights the temple being the house of prayer. When people heard that quote from the Old Testament, they knew every day at the temple from three At nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, the priests would have the sacrifice, and those outside the temple would watch the smoke billow into the air as a house of prayer. But Jesus had just cleaned out the temple. He said that it was gonna be destroyed. He wasn't gonna restore it, wasn't gonna repair it, he was gonna replace it. Now let's ask the question, what will it be replaced by? the temple, the house of prayer, will be replaced by us. It's you as a follower of Jesus. It's me. It's us together. Understand, according to this, wherever his followers gather and make requests to the Father in the name of the Son, we represent the house of prayer. So when we pray at hospital beds, in a small group, in hallways, in the next steps area, early in the mornings, late at the evening, when you're praying with a friend on the phone, when you're praying at work, I'm telling you, everywhere, before meals, I'm telling you, take those prayers serious. I had a friend I hadn't seen in five years come to our house Friday evening for dinner. And our time of prayer was so on point because I was reminded that we are the temple, we are the house of God. When you pray during a worship service, when you pray because you're fasting, when you pray at the bed of your kids, I'm telling you, we are the house of prayer. And there is something vitally important for us to remember that Jesus said in those Those four verses in verse 22 and 26, our prayer should be marked by two things, and don't miss it. Faith and forgiveness. Faith and forgiveness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I catch myself praying kind of flippantly. Kind of like I just, I have to pray. I'm supposed to pray. And Jesus says, no, when you pray, Don't forget these two things, faith and forgiveness. Let's talk about faith. When you pray, do so knowing God is present, he is powerful, and has the propensity to respond. That's faith. Don't be flippant with your prayers. And when you pray, if you're holding a grudge, ask God for the grace to forgive, even if they never say they're sorry. Jesus says on behalf of the new house of prayer, it's you and I getting together and we pray. Now, on behalf of prayer, I will tell you, unanswered prayer can be a mystery. Sometimes you look at that text and you're like, well, what what about when this happens? What about when that doesn't happen? Like, why is it that God does choose to heal some people physically on earth and, and there are others that he heals in eternity? On behalf of prayer, like, why is it I pray for some marriages, maybe yours, maybe mine? Why is it that some marriages, God God does some miraculous work, but others still break. I'm telling you, there is a mystery about unanswered prayer. But there's also something that I want you to think very carefully about. We dwell too much on the mystery. We don't dwell enough on the clarity. According to Jesus, when I pray, but if I don't have faith, and if I'm holding a grudge... It explains why God doesn't often respond. I'm telling you, he says when you pray, you've got to pray with faith. And when you pray, if you've got hard feelings toward anyone, you forgive them. You ask God to give you the grace to forgive. So when we pray, pray with confidence that he is present, that he is powerful, and has a propensity to respond. He cares, and he's listening. And when you pray... Do so with grace. No grudges. I want to tell you, we started this way, and I want to close this way. Not all weeks are created equal. Some weeks really stand out, and some weeks really slow down. I'm going to make some statements that I just want, I want to ask you to think about. Number one, on Sunday, he's ignored. Can we close our eyes and and just concentrate? Think about what happened on that Sunday as he's ignored. Let's ask some questions, ready? What about you? How will I respond to Jesus? Will I ignore him? Or will I welcome him? Will I invite him into my life today Will I welcome him into our home, into our marriage? Will I invite him into my dreams, into my hopes, into my confusion, into my frustration? What steps should I take today to let him know that he's invited? It's on you. Because on Sunday, we learn the value of welcoming Jesus. Ready? On Monday... He talked to a tree. You know what he noticed about that tree? It wasn't about tree, it was about people. Lots of leaves, but no fruit. Let's ask the question, what about me? Are there any signs of having it together? Is there a schedule that's filled with religious activity? But my heart is a wasteland? What about me? On Tuesday, he presses in on prayer. And as we all have a posture of prayer right now, he, he said, "Your prayer should be marked by two things: faith, a confidence that he is powerful. He is present, and he has a propensity to respond faith and forgiveness I guarantee all across this room right now there are people that come to your mind right now you got a grudge or right now you're like man it's complicated right now it's confusing God I don't know what to do if you're going to pray the way Jesus prayed, you pray in faith and then you pray with forgiveness. Say, God, will you please help me with this? Give me grace. Give me grace to forgive, just like you forgave me. God, give me grace to heal. Give me grace to move forward. Dear God, I want to thank you for weeks that we're all forced to slow down, and it is hard for me to vocalize that. I want to thank you that that Mark chooses to show us how the final week of Jesus' life, everything slowed down. There are lessons to learn when we are forced to slow down. No matter how busy it is, no matter how overwhelmed, how anxious we are, how confused we are, Father, I pray that we would always extend an invitation to you and to our life. We saw the danger of ignoring Jesus. To ignore Jesus is to reject him. And when weeks get busy, God, the truth be told, sometimes when a week slows down, it exposes lots of leaves but no fruit. It's almost like there's a facade. God, I think of some of the most difficult weeks in my life. I had a friend that once told me, He was kind of jealous of where we were because he knew I would get closer to you than ever before. And what that meant, it was going to break off all those leaves. And this wasteland would start to produce fruit that only came from Jesus. I pray for those right now in this room where life is slow because of something heavy. Jesus, will you produce the fruit that only you can produce? And, Father, I want to thank you for Tuesday morning. Beside a withered fig tree, you taught us to pray. Remind us that we are the house of prayer. And when we pray, it's to be marked by faith and forgiveness. Please let this unfold today and the weeks to come. I pray this today in Jesus' name.